Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews. Oh, chapter 7. Dang it, I changed that, and then I changed the graphic, and I goofed up the picture. It's actually Hebrews 7, uh, starting in verse 1. I'll tell you what. Let's get rid of that. There we go. Hebrews 7, and we start in verse 1. And this is God's word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes, through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, Abraham, when Melchizedek met him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back when uh, Johnny Coggin uh, worked at Grace of Van, worked uh, for me and with me, one of the things I enjoyed about our relationship is um, that he had and still has a very high Baptist tolerance. And uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that he, you know, kind of like my wife, likes things in a certain way and uh, likes the laws followed and things. And, uh, you know, and when I say Baptist tolerance, I mean just like uh, lots of chicken tetrazzini with not enough salt in it. Does that make sense? No? Okay. Well, anyway, um, let me put it another way. Um, Johnny was much younger than I was, but uh, I would come up with one of my cockamamie schemes, musically or conceptually, some kind of ministry idea, and it was kind of like he was the dad and I was the rebellious teenager, you know? So I'd come up with something. I'd go, hey, I really think this will be a cool idea. He'd be like, no, hold on, hold on. That could be trouble. Uh, you know, he was like the, the calming, uh, the, the quieting voice. And I really enjoyed that um, about our relationship. And so to this day, one of the things that I get the biggest kick out of is not ending a song on the one chord. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you'll go, feels good, doesn't it? Oh, you end on the one chord. 
I, Johnny loves to end on the one chord. And to this day, I love ending on a four chord. So, uh, you know, a four chord is, you know, one, three, five, three, one. The four is one, three, four. Here comes the bride. So you go, uh, bum, 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 and I love not going to the one because a lot of the times when you don't go to the one, it just leaves the song or the idea just hanging out there. And it's kind of like eternity. I love that. Well, what was that? Deceptive cadence. Ooh, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good name for a kid, isn't it? Deceptive cadence. Get in this house. <laughs> Deceptive Cadence Winderburn. Um, all right, so ladies and gentlemen, the big idea today is just that. It's kind of like ending the song on a four chord. It just hangs out there for all eternity. The idea, ladies and gentlemen, is the work of Jesus is full, final, and forever. When you think about this guy, Melchizedek, uh, and listen, the writer of Hebrews has mentioned Melchizedek three times already in the book, and it's this kind of this passage. We'll talk about it in a second, but you, you see this word Melchizedek, and it just seems so religious and so Jewish and so Old Testamenty, and he's so mysterious. What in the world does it all mean? There's a lot of stuff in this passage, and as I, I know as I'm reading it, you're like, what? Shabbat who? Shabbat what? It's confusing. It's not going to be that confusing. Um, when you think of Melchizedek, I wish you would think that the work of Jesus is full, final, and forever. That's the idea that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across to you and to me and the original readers. Well, um, as I say, he's been mentioned by the writer of Hebrews three times already, and uh, he's done so without any fanfare or explanation. Um, this is where he starts really digging into it and telling us the, the idea. But you know, three other times he's like, da 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 Melchizedek just throws out this word and no, 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 Melchizedek and Melchizedek. Now, folks, if I were writing, if I were writing some kind of religious article, and um, I'm writing it to you, the 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 original readers of it, okay, and I say blah 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 Billy Graham. Blah, 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 Billy Graham, blah, 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 Billy Graham. What is my assumption? My assumption is you know who the heck Billy Graham is. I'm not saying Billy Graham to be cryptic. I'm not saying Billy Graham to hide something from you. I'm saying Billy Graham to help you. I'm saying Billy Graham, I'm assuming who you, who you know who that is, and I can, I can factor that in as I, as I make my, uh, my argument. And that's, that's very important, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the writer of, of Hebrews is trying to be clear with his audience. He's trying to help them understand by bringing Melchizedek into it. The mysterious figure, yes, but he's not trying to befuddle his readers and have them go, what? This is so weird. How does this even apply Melchizedek? That's a weird name. He's not doing that. Um, it's, it's supposed to matter to them and to us, ladies and gentlemen, immediately and powerfully because the writer's intent um, is, uh, is as it is to uh, uh, the original readers that uh, the work of Jesus is full and final and forever. So... The reference to Melchizedek is to explain the perpetual priesthood and the enduring kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. 
And, um, and you know, by the way, when I talk about the, the perpetual priesthood of Jesus, the enduring kingdom, I'm not talking about a concept. Um, I, I'm not talking about an eternity-long memorial service by a bunch of devoted kooks who worship some dead prophet from a long time ago. I'm talking about a dynamic Savior who is not dead but lives, a dynamic Savior who's got his fingers in his creation, um, not a recollection of some, some historical figure. And uh, so I say immediately, you can understand how this would apply to a first-century man or a 21st century man, a first century woman, or a 21st century woman. This matters to us. It makes a difference in our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of what Jesus accomplished, our security, ladies and gentlemen. You know, um, crimes against God enjoy no statute of limitations. Um, everything you have done or said is going to be judged. And thankfully, in the gospel, via the gospel, in Christ, those things were crushed eternally. Those things were heaped upon another who took the, the punishment, and those things were punished in a forever and final way. So let's go to our first of three points today. It is uh, priest and king. Look at verse one. You're going to be able to see where I got that. It says, for this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and so on. Well, straight away, you can see my terminology comes right from the passage. King and priest. Very important words. Now, before we go into the uniqueness of those two offices, let's go to the source uh, to which the, the writer of Hebrews is referring. So keep your finger where you are. In fact, we may flip back and forth a little bit, but keep your finger in Hebrews and go to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And um, we start in verse 17. So Genesis chapter 14, uh, verse 17. And uh, the dude's name is still Abram. It hadn't been changed to Abraham yet. After Abram's return from the defeat of uh, Kedorlaomer, Kedorlaomer, that's what it is, Kedorlaomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, professor, uh, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Hey, now, before we jump off of this for a second, I, you know, I had this in my notes and then I took it out and now I'm, it appears I'm sticking it back in again. It's interesting. The writer of Hebrews quotes everything pretty much in this passage of Genesis, except one thing, which is Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And um, it's interesting, many a Bible commentary make a big deal about bread and wine, and they compare it to, ooh, guess what? What do you think? The Lord's Supper. They go, ooh, bread and wine. That's got to be the Lord's Supper. And um, I, I, I don't think it... <laughs> I don't think it is. I mean, um, on the one hand, things are argued from silence a lot in the scriptures. I don't think this, I think this is just a, 
that Melchizedek happened to bring bread and wine to him. I don't think it's a, 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 a veiled reference of the Lord's Supper at all. I, I really don't. But anyway, um, flip ahead to Psalm 110. Um, this is the only other reference, aside from the book of Hebrews, to uh, Melchizedek, Psalm 110. And uh, as you turn there, you might realize and, and recollect this is a very important psalm. Um, You'll recognize it when we get there. Psalm 110, starting at verse uh, 1. A psalm of David. That's a superscription. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord. Oh, yeah. Does that ring a bell in some of your mind? Some of your minds? That's an important psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That, those are the only references to Melchizedek after Genesis, after Psalm 110, um, after the references in Hebrews, he vanishes from the pages of scripture. We don't know anything else about him except what I've just read to you. Is that amazing? So who is this mysterious dude, Melchizedek, and why did he assume his readership would understand who he is, what he's saying, and how that comparison applies to the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel? Well, some people guesstimate that this Melchizedek guy was Shem, Noah's son. And some people say, well, uh, maybe it was an angelic presence. Maybe it was an angelic presence, this Melchizedek guy. You know, he kind of shows up on the scene and then he vanishes and maybe he's, a, maybe he's an angelic presence. And yet others think, some other scholars think, and maybe some of you uh, smarty pant people in the room are going, ooh, that might be a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ, which is also known as a what? Christophany. Uh, Christophany. Um, some people think that it's a Christophany. Well, I can clear it up for you very simply. It's, it's really easy. All you got to do is, look at, the, is uh, look at verse 3 of our passage in, in Hebrews 7. This guy, he is, this, this Melchizedek guy, he's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Um, no one says that an actual article resembles itself. He's not saying Jesus resembles a pre-incarnate version of himself. That, that it completely dismisses a Christophany. It can't be that. It can't be that. Um, so Melchizedek was a mysterious man, but he was just a man. So one of the significant things about this important man is our very sermon point, that he was priest and king. Very important ideas here that the writer of Hebrews wants to put forth. Again, verse 1, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Now, priest and king are very common words in Christendom, right? I mean, we hear those all the time. We sing them, priest and king. We know that those are offices. We know those are assigned to Jesus. We know that those are offices in the Old Testament and so on. Um, and we hear king all the time. In every theological sphere, we, we hear about king. We sing about king. It doesn't matter if you go to a Schmega church somewhere. They sing the word king. Uh, everybody likes king. Priest uh, is a word less sung and preached and thought of in in evangelical circles, but certainly here, you've heard me say it a thousand times, um, 
priest and, and king. Uh, and so it, it can be kind of commonplace for us, but what's so important to understand that for the, the reader of this, priest and king, the two offices of priest and king, didn't come in the same person. They were two different offices. They were two different jobs. They were two different functions. Um, the kings of Israel and Judah were to operate r- ruling the people um, and God would bring up a, a prophet to run side by side with him that was supposed to give them the oracles of God. That's yet another office. But you got the office of king who was ruler, but then you had the priest who was the intercessor between the people and God. Two different functions. You never had a king who was a priest too, except for this spooky dude, Melchizedek. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews goes, when I say Melchizedek, the readers are going to go, these Jewish readers are going to go, oh, spooky old Melchizedek, um, who's the double office guy. And uh, what's, so, um, what's so powerful about it, what's so, what's so strange and unique is you got him in one office. Think about this. Imagine that uh, it was the United States of America. And not only is Obama president, but he's your access to the living God. Would that not be a wild scene? <laughs> Might not even work out that well, right? Um, but that, that's, that's the idea in, in Israel. They, they, were go, they were going, you don't have a king and a priest in the same person. That, that's just so strange. Uh, two different offices, two different functions. And yet, um, there's this Melchizedek who's uh, king of Salem. He was king. It says he was priest of, the God, of, of God most high. Uh, and um, I think it was something that was readily accepted by an Israelite, and, uh, but likely kind of overlooked at the same time. You know, it's kind of like, um, oh, I don't know, Alexander Hamilton. Um, I, know, I know he's on some money. Um, it's all about the Hamiltons, man. Yeah, I got a pocket full of Hamiltons, man. Feeling pretty good. Uh, but what else, what else do I know about Alexander Hamilton? I don't know. Was it any a sword fight or something with somebody? I don't know. He was, was he a president? Was he a president? He wasn't? Secretary. Okay, who knows, man? Um, but I just know he's a historic figure in the United States, and he's on our money. Um, I think it's kind of that way with the Israelites. They're, they're like, okay, he was prophet. Excuse me. He was priest <coughs> and king. Kind of weird that you got him in the same office, but there's that funky dude, mysterious dude, veiled dude from the Old Testament, and the Israelite was like, yeah, that's weird to have that, that one guy in the same two offices, but you know, that was one of those crazy early Israelite kind of deals, and the writer of Hebrews knows that. So that great guy, Melchizedek, was, um, was king and priest and was totally cool um, in, in, the, in the Israelite mind. Well, what makes him so unique? Well, he blesses Abraham, Abram. He uh, did so in a public manner. He receives tithes from Abraham, Abram. Now, who would do that? Who would receive tithes except an intercessor? Who would do the blessing except someone who had the authority to bless? I mean, a very unique character, this Melchizedek. Very unique, very different very sticky outy uh, in the, the mind of the Israelite person. So how does that apply to your life? Why does it matter to you? Well, here's your application. Jesus, per our writer, is unlike anyone. He is priest and king par excellence. 
unlike any other. Um, he is far superior to Melchizedek. Um, and by the way, um, he's the one that holds the two offices. And like in the case of Jesus, he's so much greater than Melchizedek. Um, it says, um, where in verse seven, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Um, Abraham is inferior and, um, Melchizedek is superior to him. And so is Jesus to us. And so in our case, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is forever King forever ruling and reigning dynamically. He's forever king. He's forever intercessor. He's forever the mediator between us and God, forever and ever and ever. Um, What that means to you, friends, is the work of Jesus is full, final, and forever. That ought to be a source of assurance for you, and it was meant to be for the original readers of this as well. All right, let's continue on with our second point, righteousness and peace. Uh, Verse one, it says, um, this Melchizedek, king of Salem. Um, When you read Salem, that's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not cigarettes from the 70s. Um, It is a word that means what? Do you know what? Peace. Salem means peace. And by the way, Jerusalem, what do you think that means? City of peace. Salem, peace. So this guy is um, king of peace. That's pretty cool. And by the way, that word shalom, is, is in the, is, that's where we get this, this word Salem. Peace, flourishing, and so on. We'll talk about that more in a second. Um, so it's a city of peace. Another f- amazing fact from the mist, um, the most high God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him and so on. Um, what else is I going to tell you? Oh, um, uh, oh yeah. Hang on a second. Uh, oh yeah. Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Isn't that amazing? So you've got king of righteousness. You've got king of peace. This guy described, you can see where we get this point. Um, so what else is amazing about this is in verse three, it says that this guy, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, isn't it wild that Genesis is so steeped in genealogies? I mean, very careful to say, hey, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it's this traceable history it invites scrutiny. It says, hey, check it out. We're not just uh, pretending that uh, these, uh, these, this, this religious system was hatched as some kind of caper somewhere. It's traceable. It's anchored in human history. It means that we've got an historical savior in real time with a real people and so on. Um, and so Genesis takes great care for all this ge- genealogy, but not so with Melchizedek. That's another very unique thing about this mysterious guy is that the, you don't have a genealogy. And in that way, he just, poof, appears in the scriptures, has this, this function, and then he vanishes from the pages. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, it's kind of like Melchizedek, they go, oh, yeah, yeah. We don't know where he came from or, or where he went. And there's this kind of like forecord that's just hanging out there, and that's supposed to be applied to Jesus Christ. Uh, resembling the Son of God, it says he remains um, a priest forever. Remember, um, it doesn't say Jesus was a lot like Melchizedek. Doesn't say that. 
Rather, the idea is Melchizedek was a lot like Jesus, or Melchizedek was at least a useful illustration to point us to Jesus. At least, a, at least we can milk out a helpful comparison. So this king, this priest is unlike any earthly one uh, because not only is he doing these activities forever and ever and ever, he does so with the aim of flourishing. Flourishing in your life. All right, so to apply this. Um, oh, yeah, I took a picture of the music that you're about to sing in just a minute. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, these were lyrics on your page, and I was like, oh, that'll work great. You know, I'm just out, out there. It might have been live, actually. It might have been live in church. Um, yeah. Frail as summer's flower we flourish, blows the wind and it is gone. Uh, we do flourish, don't we? But boy, it's a temporary flourishing, isn't it? Um, I mean, doesn't take long for the rose petals to turn brown and start drooping and then fall off and go, whoa, guess what? That's your body. Uh, you know, we, we, we flourish for a time and then, uh, we don't look like you anymore. You know, uh, we, we change over to this and, uh, no offense, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh yes. Yes. It's family. It's family. It's family ties. Um, all right, so here's my illustration. When, when I had to take these miserable uh, courses up in St. Louis, I had to go up to St. Louis for like six or seven times for a, a week-long course. And I mean, you have to work in a group project and everybody's got to weigh in. And I mean, it's just, you just pray the Lord Jesus comes back that week. It's just <laughs> awful. Worst thing ever. And uh, so we're putting this group project together and, uh, you know, uh, none of us is as dumb as all of us. Uh, so we're all working together. And, um, and the, the other guy, like it, it, it was a group of six and basically nobody does anything for five days and then two people do all the work and then everybody hogs the credit. Well, the other guy who was doing the work along with me in the, in the wee hours, he had a word in there. He, the word was flourishing and he kept using the word flourishing. Let's, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so that, uh, we might flourish in Jesus Christ. And let's, which will, uh, which will add to our flourishing. And, um, and I remember going like, I, I, was, I was cocky. And I was like, dude, you know, <laughs> flourishing. I mean, it, in my view, you know, flourishing is a lot like toe touch, lala flourishing. You know, it just seemed a little not that cool, you know. What I didn't know is every seminary professor at that school uses the word flourishing in every single class. I mean, it's like the big word of the year, flourishing. And the idea behind flourishing, I now love it. I now stand corrected and, and say I'm a complete idiot for not digging on that. Um, the idea is shalom. You know what God wants for you? Shalom. He wants peace for you. And not just the absence of, of travail, not just uh, you sitting, uh, taking uh, you know, selfies of your feet on, on, the, on the beach on, in Destin, but um, he wants your best in all areas. God wants your flourishing, not this temporary flourishing where we pop up and then the petals fall off and it's all over, but a, a, a holistic flourishing for now and all eternity. Is it not amazing, ladies and gentlemen, that what God wants for you is your very 
best in every aspect of your humanity. Is that not amazing? That's what this God of righteousness and peace, this king, this priest is all about. Um, And by the way, that's what all of humanity is aching for. You got, you got all these people clamoring for this and chasing after this and chasing after this validation and this next stylistic trend and this musical trend. People are just grasping and grasping. You know what they want? They want flourishing. And it is provided in the restorative gospel. That is what God is in the business of doing on your behalf. Huge comfort if you would just lock your heart and mind around that. Last point, uh, old and new. I've got a feeling this is going to spill over in the next week a little bit, but um, I tend to like symmetry in my points, you know. I kind of like blip, 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 okay? If not symmetry, at least a little poetry. And I want you to know that when you go priest and king, they go together. Righteousness and peace, they go together. Usually when you see old and new, you're like old versus new. No, 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 no. Old and new go together like the other ones. I got a symmetry going here. Old, it's not old versus new. It's old and new. And uh, they're a couple. And here's what I mean. Um, one commentator put it in a very good way. Uh, he said, um, the new covenant is not called new because it is different, but because it brought to fulfillment all that had been represented and anticipated. The new covenant is the old covenant come to fruition is the idea. And to illustrate that, let's all turn. Well, no, let me just get there real quick. I'll just uh, speed over there. Here I am. Um, I'm in, um, I'm in uh, John 8, verse 56. Listen, Jesus says this. He says, um, um, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, what? You're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? I mean, Jesus. Abraham was a super long time ago. I mean, Abraham was before there were Israelites. Abraham was before Moses led people out in an exodus in the wilderness wanderings and David set up a kingdom and all that stuff. You're saying Jesus that Abraham rejoiced that he would see your day. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before, oh gosh, before Abraham was, I am. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a guy who's saying, I'm divinity? You know, what, you know what they thought? They, they, they hear Jesus say, oh, before Abraham was, I am. Guess what they do? They pick up stones to throw at him and kill him. <laughs> they understand. They know what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yep, I'm the son of God. Yep, I'm the Messiah. Yep, I'm the same essence as is Yahweh. What a thought, man. And so the idea behind the Aaronic priesthood You know, Aaron came from the tribe of Levi um, and was of the line of Abraham. The priesthood of Melchizedek preceded Abraham. He, He wasn't a part of a lineage that the Bible reports. In fact, the Bible deliberately does not report a lineage. So we have this mysterious figure hanging there as a comparison. And so in verse 9, look at verse 9, if you would, um, of our passage. Let me get back there again real quick. Verse 9, 
It says, one might even say, oh, this is so cool, that Levi himself, who receives tithes, okay, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, people bring a tenth from their storehouse to the priest. Um, Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I mean, Abraham doesn't even produce offspring yet, and in that sense, Levi is paying tithes. <laughs> and so the whole point is this. Um, Jesus is before all this. Jesus is from eternity. Before Abraham was, I am, says Jesus. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, by the way, not, not from the, Le- the Levites. He was from the tribe of Judah. Um, so application for your life. Jesus surpasses all manner of rescue. And I close with this. I know we got to wrap it up. Um, there's, there are a few noteworthy atheists um, floating around out there. I mean, uh, Ricky Gervais is one of them for sure. Bill Maher is one of them. Um, um, uh, who else? Oh, yeah, Teller. You know, from Penn and Teller, you got the short guy who never says anything, and then you got big, goofy, weird uh, Teller. And he is an outspoken atheist, uh, a pleasant guy, uh, pretty cynical, uh, but uh, still a, a pleasant guy, but a loather of Christianity. He thinks we're just a bunch of crazy kooks and that the Bible's ridiculous. And I saw a, 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 something online with him last week, and he said, um, if a person reads the Bible, they'll come away an atheist. And basically he's saying, go ahead and read the Bible, because you'll read the Bible and you'll go, this stuff is all super kooky and weird and anybody who believes this is insane and you'll walk away an atheist. And um, for the life of me, I don't know why a Christian would be offended by that statement in any way. Oh, I can't believe someone would say that. Why wouldn't you believe that? Of course they think it's kooky and weird. Because it's the foolishness of God. It's, it, it's the wisdom of God. It's the foolishness that God uses to, to show us the, the beauty of his wisdom. But for we who have his word opened up to us, we who have eyes to see and ears to hear, um, it's, just, it's just amazing that there's this great continuity between the Old and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's not that things are jumbled and mixed up and don't make any sense and you go, gosh, I don't know how this relates to this and this relates to this. I'm telling you, the longer I'm in this, the more integrity I see. And you're not gonna get a greater skeptical person than me. You're not going to. I mean, I love to analyze and tear things apart and call things what they are. And my, you know... My, you know, my falsehood meter <laughs> is, is raging all the time. It really is, huh? <laughs> I know you want me to shout it out. I can't do it. There's twins in the room. But my point is, I, I'm trying to call out falsehood at every, at every turn. And the longer I'm in God's word, it's just the kindness of God's grace that I just see it and see it and see it, not in a Tom Cruise, L. Ron Hubbard way, but in an unbelievable, redemptive way. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, h- how is the mere notion of re- redemption not beautiful? Um, how is the dream of um, being right with God forever not compelling? Is it not the most wonderful promise you ever heard? Here's the gospel. We're in trouble. 
We're in trouble because the world is broken. We're in trouble because we sprout up and flourish and you're 23 and you're ripped and you feel great. And then you're 29 and you're still, ha, 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 30, big deal. Then you're 39, ha, 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 big deal, 40. And then you're 46 and you're like, dang. <laughs> what, something, uh, but still, 46. Uh, you know, I look at 46 and I go, what a good age. Oh, 46, isn't that sweet? And then you're 51 and then you're 54 and you're like, gosh, this is wild. I mean, no wonder 100 years ago people were just plopping down dead at 54 like everybody was dying at 54. You're like, I can see that, man. Uh, you're going through the Walgreens drive through all the time going, okay, you know, keep my body afloat. You know, it, it's, just, it's just trying to sustain it until we just go bleh. What a thought that God's best interest for you is that you flourish holistically in every aspect of your humanity, that you be the fullest expression of the person you're supposed to be, personality, intelligence, giftedness, artistic um, uh, gifts. Uh, God wants that for you for all eternity. This priest's work is for you for all eternity. God restores and redeems you for all eternity. What a message, what a gospel, and what a savior. More next time, let's pray. Our Father, we just want to joy in the gospel. We pray for the joy of your salvation, and we pray for clarity of thought, and we pray, Father, that our hearts would be able to wrap around this mysterious figure who just pops up in the scriptures and then disappears with this, with this sense of eternality, this sense of um, offices that continue. And in Jesus Christ, we see continue for our good, for our good, for our good, for your glory, glory, glory. Um, we pray that we'd be encouraged by that, Lord. We pray that our hearts would find assurance in it. And we pray that we would have power over sin uh, because of the greatness of the gospel, the sufficiency of our Savior, and the way your spirit works in us to bring us more to the likeness of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Why did he-